Yeah, let's run the out of the ball, baby. They're wrestling, so are we. Punch them in the mouth. Raise your glasses to kicking everybody's ass. <laughs> going on guys circle city sports podcast back with you with another episode uh we're going to recap the annapolis colts defeat over the uh, new orleans saints 34 to 34 to 7 uh, colts fall to 6 and 8 playoffs are officially done we can stop talking about playoff scenarios now and start looking forward to the season um but jake that was probably by far the worst performance i've seen from the annapolis colts since probably 2017 and even in 2017 i didn't have much much expectations that game that game against New Orleans felt like a lot like 2011 when we went in there on Sunday Night Football and Curtis Painter sucked the joint up. But, Jake, where are you, where are you placing blame at for this game? First of all, I'm, I'm embarrassed, man. I, for the first time since Frank Reich has been our football coach, I'm embarrassed. We went on Sunday Night Football and played like crap. I mean, it was just – it was just – there was no energy from – Completely out – completely outcoached. I thought we were completely outcoached, to be honest. Sean Payton was playing games with us. Yep, I, and I expect more from this roster. I mean, the pride, you know, you have guys like Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson and T.Y. Hilton gunning it out. Bless his soul, you know, for one of the guys on this team, being one of the guys on this team. I don't care what you say. I don't care what anybody says. You put that man in the ring of honor. The second he retires, put him in there. Take Jim Harbaugh off. Take some of the old-timers <laughs> from Baltimore off. Put T.Y. Hilton in there. The man has been suffering through injury all year, and he comes back in a game we have a 2% chance of making the playoffs for the rest of the year. We have a 2% chance of making the playoffs. He could very much easily rest, sit, and quit on his team like what Eric Eric Ebron did, and he didn't. He came out with a nagging calf injury that he's been dealing with basically all season, and he played. And it's completely bullcrap. almost said something else. It's complete bullcrap that we have a – Bad quarterback throwing him the football. He came at him on a simple five-yard crosser. And T.Y. Hilton's out here gutting it, giving his 100%, and he's going to get probably no love. And his his stats or whatever are going to be completely bad this year because of the quarterback situation that we had. It's just complete crap that T.Y. Hilton had to deal with this year. And I hope he doesn't have to deal with it next year or the rest of his Colts career because he doesn't deserve it. He's He's – He's been healthy his whole career. I think he's only missed like what four games for seven seven years. And he's yep. been, I mean, he's been hurt last two years, but he's gutted through it. Like he didn't practice all last year, and mm-hmm. he gutted through that Texans game. He gutted through this game. Two games we needed to win. And I don't want to hear anything about T.Y. Hilton not being tough. This guy plays through injuries and he plays hard all the time. And I can't believe I just started going on this random rant. But and I don't think I mean, it was really deserved. But I mean, T.Y. Hilton. Needs to get recognition for what happened on Monday night, how he was able to gut through the injury and play through a pretty significant injury when he could have shut it down like Eric Ebron did. It's funny that he – I know we're getting way off topic, but it's just funny how he was scapegoated for that that loss against Houston. Had a couple bad drops, but the man went out there. I'm going to blame the coaching. I'm blaming the coaching more. You can't say the guy's 100%. And I think it gets – I can't remember how many, played, how many snaps he played against Houston. But in New Orleans game, he played half the snaps. And I believe he didn't play three of the first four third downs. He's your best player. He is probably the only player on this offense, skill position-wise, that's worth a darn right now. And you're not playing him when he's supposedly 100%. That's where I'm blaming the coaching at. 
He's the best. He's the best skill position player the Colts have on offense. He's the only playmaker the Colts have on offense. And you're not playing him? Like, come on now. He looked better in this game, but in the Houston game, he looked he like normal T.Y. Hilton. He did. Yeah. But I think I think also listen, two percent chance to make the playoffs. They I don't think they wanted to put too much on him in that game, and rightfully so. They actually did right by him in this game, unlike the Texans game where they let him go out there and play injured. But you know, just just kind of circling back to what I was talking about initially, just you know, an embarrassment. I mean, from top to bottom, coaching, players, you have all these guys with all this pride. And, you know, I've heard it on a couple other podcasts I've listened to and some other, you know, Colts fans that I follow and, and are fans of. And, you know, you know what people said collectively, and I completely agree with this. They looked like they were ready to go to the Bahamas. And I agree with it from top to bottom. It was an embarrassing performance. And I just cannot believe that we are talking about that, about a Frank Reich football team. I understand he said we're disgusted. He's a great talker. He knows what to say. He's a great coach. I'm not trying to undermine him as a coach, but his team folded in that game you were down 34 to nothing and say what you want about Jacoby he played bad but you don't have a roster with the Colts talent on it you're not a good team if you are down 34 to nothing I understand it's Drew Brees he was he was on on uh he was on a mission to get that touchdown record you know they looked like they were trying to get Michael Thomas the receptions record too I thought I was going to jump off my roof if they would have broke Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison's record on the 10-year Super Bowl 44 anniversary, the most scarring moment of my fandom, and, and then him break, them break those two records. I thought that was actually going to happen. you know. But you still can't go down 34 to nothing, Sam. And it really looked worse than that. It was brutal. And why was it 34 to nothing? A big, didn't even, didn't big even reach 100 yards of offense to the nope. third quarter. I'm pretty sure we had like one or two snaps in the opposing team's territory. In the first brutal. in the first three quarters, it was brutal. It, it was terrible. But you know, one thing that that really, really, really led to this was the secondary play, the defensive play. I mean, listen, I understand that that football is the ultimate complementary game, and the point blame on one unit is kind of you know unfair because they're all facets have to be clicking for things to work against an offense like this. But I said it to you on the preview show that I felt like the secondary was going to get exposed. We hadn't seen an, an assassin like Drew Brees. We face some really talented guys, MVP caliber guys, but nobody with the type of, of accuracy. Hall of Fame, like ability. Hall of Fame type quarterback. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, and he's just built different than the guys we play. Mahomes, Watson, those are athletes. Those are guys that hit the crazy plays, that run around, that do. The Colts play great against those guys. What have we not had to play? And just an assassin mentally. Drew Brees mentally and accuracy-wise is a guy we haven't had to face this year. And man, they, I thought it was going to be a rough game, Sam. I predicted 34 to 17, but Jesus Christ, 30, 29 out of 30, 29 out of 30. You could not have asked for those numbers. And the one, like I, like I said before the show, the one incompletion coming behind the line of scrimmage to Latavius Murray, who was three yards uncovered. And Breeze kind of, it was a, it was an off throw because of his platform. He was, he was facing downfield, but he threw it to the sideline. So he was, he was off platform. So he could have easily completed that pass. He literally could have, literally not completed incomplete the pass. It's just ridiculous. And I said, I said when we were talking about it before the show, you could not have asked for that kind of numbers from a training camp. If if Kevin Bowen or Stephen Holder had tweeted out, "Oh, Andrew Luck went twenty-seven of thirty today at training camp," we would have went bananas. We would have been like, "Oh, give him the MVP award." He's got Drew Brees in an actual NFL game against actual NFL players went twenty. Nine of 30. That is just 
that is just such an unacceptable number. I was just so ashamed at the the way they covered Michael Thomas. I mean, you know, there is no way they went into saying, hey, let's Michael, let Michael Thomas have 10 catches in the first two minutes of the game. But it just seemed like every time I turned around. I think he had like a 65% completion, or it was like a 65% uh, catch rate or uh, completion rate or something like that to where he was he was more likely going to catch the ball 60, uh, 65% when he was thrown to that that's just i mean again i the secondary was just so disappointing man and and the leaks have were coming and the the Jameis Winston game and now the Drew Brees game and you had and Ryan it just sucks cuz this it just sucks for this defense cuz i think it's it can be an elite defense i think it's a good defense right now uh, the last two games obviously haven't shown it and the, uh, we saw in the first drive Colts uh get the blocked punt or whatever from the special teams and I think Bubba Ventron's got to go. He's got to go. Like I'm tired of seeing the special teams blow games for us. But the, the Saints the Saints on their first drive of the game get a short field like they're around the 45-yard line. And the Colts only give up a field goal. Like that's big. That's big against that type of offense. But when this offense can't move the ball, that defense gets put in bad situations over and over and over again. And the last two weeks They've been exposed because of it, because this offense can't move the ball. And that I think that's kind of the reason why the defense has folded the last two weeks. I think it's also because of the play. The soft zones are not working. Uh, that I think that's part of Matt Eberflus. I don't know why they're not playing more man-to-man coverage. But it's just the fact that this defense keeps pl- is always on the field having to carry the offense and finally started to fold over late in this season. Yeah, and I mean, you know, part of it, like you said, is the the scheme. Schematically, I'm not a big fan of it. I was actually conversing with people this morning about it, you know, because people are just just so frustrated at what they saw like I am. And, you know, just for for anyone listening, for wondering, you know, banging your head against the wall, why do they run this? Why do they run this? This is a scheme that works when you have good pass rushers and you have athletes that can strike and make tackles. You hear Chris Ballard use the word all the time, strike 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 and so when people say well why would you want to give up easy completions why would you want to let because number one when you first force more plays you have better opportunities to force turnovers and number two when you play in a zone and the field shrinks and you have the athletes that can cover space and strike then you prevent touchdowns so the two calling cards for this type of defense turnovers and red zone defense and and when you when you break it down in today's nfl it's a great concept because Teams move the ball at will really anyway. I mean, you have two or three defenses like the Bears and, you know, the Ravens and a couple others that are just next level. But until the Colts reach that level, then you you are going to give up yards regardless of what you play generally on a week-to-week basis. So if you – the two biggest things, don't give up touchdowns and force turnovers, that's what wins in this league. And so it's a great idea – on paper and in words, when you talk about it, we play indoors. It's a perfect system for the kind of athletes that we've acquired. But two things. Number one, we don't have the pass rushers. Justin Houston's had one sack in the last month. Jabal the, whole, the, whole, the whole defensive line has had one sack in the last two weeks. Two weeks. Without, if we're being honest, without those, four, uh, without those interceptions from uh, Jameis Winston, New Orleans and Tampa Bay could have easily scored 40 points on us the last two weeks. The Saints literally stopped playing after the third quarter. Once they got Breeze's touchdown record and gave him an extra one at Taysom Hill, they stopped playing. And Tampa Bay, of course, 
if they don't throw those two interceptions, they easily score 40 points. Like this defense, and I, I th- I'll agree with you, I just think it's completely on the defensive line. And Danico Archie, I'm looking right at him. This is a game he could have wrecked. He could have completely shut down. He could have really helped the secondary out from interior pass starts because Andres Pete, their starting left guard, wasn't playing. And Eric, Eric uh, McCoy is a rookie from Texas. And Danico Archery has done nothing this year. He had three sacks against Tennessee week two, and he has done nothing since. And I honestly want him gone. I want the Colts to just completely invest in an interior defensive line, maybe get another pass rusher, maybe play Ben Banigou a little bit more. Maybe we, need, maybe we just need Kamoko Ture back. But we need to do something on the interior defensive line because we are getting almost nothing. We're getting something from Grover Stewart, and he's not even our best pass rusher. He is a, he's a run stopper. We're getting absolutely nothing in the pass rushing unit from our interior defensive line. Yeah, I mean, that's spot on. I mean, when you don't have the dogs up front to get home quickly, then you're, you're, you're a secondary subject to get torn apart because when you run zone defense, you can't allow a quarterback to stand there and sit for two, three seconds. You just can't do it. And I, like I said, I was conversing with people on this, and they're saying, well, I put it on the secondary because you can't, you know, if, if, you can't, if you're not covering guys and the guys can't get home, they're running a zone. I mean, you can't, when you're running a zone, you are set up in a certain spot. And, and offensive coordinators and the quarterbacks call the plays and the audibles off of that. So they know where the holes in your zone are going to be. They know, that's why the Colts have so much success against teams that they blitz and they, and they disguise man and zone because, because they don't know what they're doing. But when you're in a zone, teams know what you're doing. And listen, that's not necessarily a terrible thing. The Colts knew, people knew what the Colts offense was going to do for years and years. It didn't matter. They knew Marvin Harrison was riding, lining up to the right, uh, Wayne to the left, Clark in the slot. They couldn't stop him to save their lives for years and years, and it didn't matter. But when you don't have the guys up front to fit your system and to be able to complete the scheme, then the guys on the back end are going to get chewed up. So I understand that aspect of it. And but all of our back, all of our guys in the secondary are young guys. Like I, young, I think Willie yep. Cooker is probably the longest tenured um, defensive back on our team. So of course they're going to expose. And one thing I wanted to mention real fast is, while Rocky Sin did get exposed to Michael Thomas, if you're a rookie, the only way to learn is to get live bullets and to get it from probably the best at his position. I am glad. I know Rocky Sin got absolutely exposed by Michael Thomas, but if you're going to get exposed. Get exposed by Michael Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins. Don't get exposed by Keelan Doss of the Oakland Raiders or someone like that. I'm glad that I'm glad that uh, Rocky Sin got a lot of he basically shadow covered Michael Thomas the whole first half. And yeah, it wasn't good for the defense. It's probably not what you wanted to do, but it's a good learning experience for a a young corner who's very promising. Yeah, I mean, and again, I. I completely understand that this is a young unit. I agree with you that that Rockesine needs this run. Marvell Tell, who I think a lot of people that that observe this team closely feel like he has a future on this team. Uh, he needs this run. You know, so he listen, got like four more snaps than Quincy Wilson. He had like twenty four, and Quincy had twenty around those two numbers. That's just well, insane. Quincy Wilson shouldn't even be touching the field. He shouldn't even be cut. touching special teams. I mean, listen, I know, I know that people kind of went overboard with the cutting Deion Kane, but we cut Deion Kane to keep Quincy Wilson on this roster. We cut Deion Kane to keep Chad Kelly on the active roster. Unbelievable. And he'll never see the field in a Colts uniform. If he's not, if they won't commit to letting him see the field when we are literally eliminated from the playoffs, he will never see the field. And that, and you, you cut a guy 
like like Deion Kane, who has a ton of upside, who's very young, fought back from a gruesome injury, and you cut him like a piece of cold meat to keep Quincy Wilson from a position get- group that you need the most playmakers in. Like that wide receiver core has probably been the worst. It's probably been one of the worst groups from the Colts this year. And you need playmakers. You need anybody that could step up. And Deion Kane probably could have been that. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't want to. I want to just go nuts with it. But I mean, the fact that they made that move when you kept a guy like Quincy Wilson, who's just been hot garbage, is just terrible. And I feel bad for Quincy. Listen, I mean, he was a healthy you know, and active for like six weeks. Yeah, I mean, he was a really young draft pick, high draft pick, had a ton of expectations, so the fans kind of turned on him. But you know, I mean, listen, he, he's terrible. I mean, I don't understand why they're continuing to hold on to this guy when he's playing this poorly. But, you know, I mean, just in general, you can't allow 29 out of 30. You have to show a little more heart. You have to force at least two or three incompletions as a team. And that's why I'm just grilling the secondary. Like I said, football is the ultimate complimentary game. That's why it's so fun to watch and so fun to talk about because everything has to be complete to work. But, you know, you can't you just cannot. In a, in a live game, give up 29 of 30. That's just that's just embarrassing. And it's just it's just the cherry on the top for a bad month for the secondary where they've blown coverages, where they've allowed the guys to just run rampant. And again, listen, Matt Eberflus is putting these guys in bad positions because we don't have the horses up front. Jabal Sheard, as in my opinion, really playing himself off this roster. I know he's a really good run defender. I know the leadership aspect, but you cannot have a guy as an edge defender if he can't rush the passer whatsoever. And he's just been awful in that department. Danico Autry, like you said, just huge disappointment in terms of the production numbers. Um, you know, I mean, those are two guys that really we expect more from. And all in all, the, that that unit's really letting down the back end. But, you know, again, 29 of 30, you just you just can't do it. And, and I expect more from that unit. I mean, we've invested a lot in that unit. I mean, Quincy Wilson, Malik Hooker, Rock Yassine, you know, Kenny Moore just got an extension. Uh, you know, Pierce zero extension. Yep. He's been awful this year. I mean, so I know he's been injured. You know, so I don't want to throw it on him too much. But listen, regardless, he's injured a lot. Last year he was healthy all year, but he's had injury history. So is that something they talk about in the off season? Do they want to keep him around? I know Kenny Moore didn't play. He's been outstanding this year. So there's nothing you can say about Kenny. But when we've invested the amount of capital and and the amount of money that we have into this unit, I expect more. I know they're young, and like I said, all that's been talked about. But, you know, 29 out of 30 on the national stage, I mean, it was embarrassing. And and they just need to show more pride. And like I said, they looked like they packed it in, and the whole team looked like they packed it I, in. And I was so disappointed. And I, I don't really check my phone or check Twitter much during the games. But honestly, by the third, maybe the second quarter, maybe the third quarter, I honestly was just scrolling through my Twitter and peeking up every time there was a snap. Like, that's how disinterested I was in, I was in watching that game. It, Honestly, I'm completely honest. It just felt so much like 2011 when we went down there and played him. It was just a complete, just completely being out coached and everything like that. And it was just, it was just so bad. And I know going into the game, the defense had a tall task ahead of them, and I knew whatever they were going to run, man or zone, Drew Brees was going to fight, was going to, was going to decide, was going to find out what they're in, and get to the best play that was needed. So I knew, hey. If our guys make plays, not the scheme, not the play calling from the coaches, if our guys can just make plays, that could be a difference in the game. And they didn't do either. And that's all I ask, man. Just just more heart and effort. And that, I didn't see it from uh, that unit or anybody, but, you know, just leading off, you know, just the most disappointed unit I, I, that, I, that I'm upset with. 
it's just it's just that secondary. I just you know I don't know. Just I saw that twenty nine to thirty, and I was watching it live, and it just looked so much worse. And I'm just like, as a as a professional football team unit, you have to have more pride than that. It going into halftime, you have to go. You know what? We're gonna get in their faces. We're gonna we're gonna do more. We're gonna do better. Demand more of yourself. And it just it's a T.Y. Hill, and they even said on ESPN that T.Y. Hilton had an impassioned uh, pregame speech. Didn't show. It didn't show. And that, that made it worse. That makes it worse. But yeah, I just, I think we'll go over to offense now because, and people, I think people, I don't know, they're, they love Frank Wright. Maybe they love Frank Wright too much, or I don't know exactly what's, what's the correct word, but I think Frank Wright needs some blame. And I don't know if I, if I, we talked about it in the last podcast or recently or whatnot, if it was just when we were exchanging texts, but Frank Wright, he has become very, not very, but he's become pretty vanilla in his play calling. And I don't know if that's just because you and me watch so much and we kind of see things, we see things so many times, but it just seems like, you know, when we're in two tight end set with two receivers and one back, we motion Zach Pascal in, it's a run, to, it's run inside or it's a misdirection. Uh, we've got Doyle off the line of scrimmage in a, in a shotgun formation. Um, it's going to be a handoff up the middle or a play action Doyle. Like, I just feel like, and I don't know if it's because of the quarterback situation and the skill positions that the Colts have right now, but it just seems like Frank Reich has really, really been a bad play caller over the last couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, and listen, I'm going to try to be as objective about this because I'm a huge, huge Frank Reich fan. We love Frank but, Reich. I am on, yeah, I just, I cannot, wa- I cannot wait to see what this offense looks like when we get a real quarterback in here that can actually run his system. And, you know, but I, I, you know, listen, you're spot on there. I mean, listen, I love Frank Reich. I put on rose colored glasses as a matter of fact for Frank Reich. I think that he's really been devoid of criticism because, you know, of Jacoby Brissett's situation. And, you know, he has a really young roster that he had to inherit. So I think that it is reasonable to, to allow him three or four years before we really pounce on him and judge him. But listen, you're right. I mean, I don't care if Jacoby Brissett is quarterback. I mean, and and people say, well, and I've seen these like crazy things where people will say, well, he's just not letting out his full playbook because he doesn't trust Jacoby. Well, listen, then you're putting Jacoby in a bad spot. And I, I'll say that as a guy that has been critical of Jacoby Brissett. If he's not getting your full playbook, you're doing him a disservice. I, I don't care if you put it on on film. People are saying, well, they, he doesn't want to put it on film. Who cares? What do you mean? If you, it's if week they, 15. If you got 2% chance of the playoffs. Why, you why are, are you worried about putting anything on film at this point? You are you are second year in. And we and even what, talked about it. We actually talked about it on the pregame show. Reich has got to bust his you-know-what's out for this game. You've got to bust everything out offensively to win this game because you are a heavy underdog playing on your last shot. Yep. And, and you know, when, when you have – like what coach – I kind of lost my train of thought there, but what, what coach – builds a legacy off of plays that no one's seen before. Like, I don't, I don't understand that logic. I don't know if it's true or not. It's probably not, but it was just something I've seen like four or five times recently where I'm just sitting there like, what, why would he possibly have that logic? What coach can make a career off of hiding plays in the playbook in week 15 of year two? It just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think that's what's going on, but I just wanted to vent about it. But you know, he, it just in general, if, if he's not busting out his whole playbook, which I don't know if he is or not. I mean, he's scheming guys open. I don't open. think he is. I, I think he's holding a little back. I think he's – because you look at it and the plays – the play designs look pretty, pretty simple, pretty uh, basic. 
So I don't know if he's really if he's showing us everything. I mean, and, and like I said, in that case, he does deserve criticism because listen, I understand Jacoby isn't playing well, but if you're going to give a guy a shot, well, here gonna, well, let me make one point real fast. The greatest ahead. thing is most of the times when he's scheming pass plays, they're open. Yeah. Look at Zach Pascal on the first third down of this drive. He is open. You and me could make that throw. The T.Y. Hilton under, underneath throw. Wide open. We could make that throw. He is scheming Marcus Johnson, Dontrell Illman, and Zach Pascal open. Imagine what he could do with some talent. Imagine what he could have done with T.Y. Hilton, Devin Funches, and Paris Campbell. And I know most. I know those guys are hurt. But just imagine what he could scheme up and imagine what he could do when he has a good quarterback and some talent around him offensively. I know he hasn't been great recently, but he is scheming guys open. And our quarterback is not hitting him. Yeah, and that's that's what I just said. I mean, he deserves credit for scheming these guys open. But you're you're right in that the scheme is getting vanilla. I mean, the plays are getting vanilla. And when we hired him, I was doing kind of some digging because he got fired from San Diego as their offensive coordinator. And, and some people thought he was a scapegoat. But, you know, something comes back to me when this happens. And when we hired him that I got worried about, there were talks on some of these articles and beat writers, their articles that I'd read. They had said in San Diego he has a he has a a bad habit of getting kind of vanilla and repetitive in his play calling. He it was a problem in San Diego that they kind of said that that led to his firing. And you know again with with the situation that went on down there, he was he was undoubtedly a scapegoat. I'm sure he wasn't as bad as they made him out to be, but you know there was talks that he had a bad habit of kind of just getting a little too repetitive and vanilla in his scheme. So, you know, I hope that's not what's happening here. I, I, I think we honestly will have to look back at what he did last year with Andrew Luck. And I know that's the first first year under the scheme and everything like that. But we have to go look and see if we see a lot of repetitiveness or anything like that. Well, and I've actually been going back. And, you know, over the last recent weeks, I've kind of become disengaged, you know, with what I'm watching here. So, you know, I'm kind of splitting between this year and last year. Kind of well, it's game. time to look forward to 2020, baby. It's draft season. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get my 20, uh, 2018 film in while I can because we're about to be moving forward with this. But, you know, just kind of compare. And, you know, it is night and day. I mean, and you can tell. And that's why when he sits up there and talks about trying to get better with Jacoby and this and that, you know, the words, you can say whatever you want to me. But when I watch the replays of last year and this year, and it has nothing to do with Andrew Luck's play. It has to do with what I'm seeing develop on the field in terms of his schemes. It's just there's just more diversity. There's more confidence. There's more of a flow. He feeds off of it. You can tell he gets jacked up and really gets in a flow as a play caller when his quarterback is hitting on his throws and gets into a rhythm. And he just he well, can look at turn the Texans game. Look at the first Texans game. He was scheming guys so open. Yep, and he can turn into the best offensive mind in the game when he gets in those zones. We've seen it. We've marveled at it. And, and I mean, listen, I, I agree that Jacoby Brissett has really let him down. But at the end of the day, when you turn on the tape and you see those kinds of plays, just open it up. For, open up the playbook. If he's going to sink, let him sink. Do not allow him to be coddled with, with a restricted playbook. If he's a guy that you were going to in August when Andrew Luck retired, sit here and tell us, He's the guy. We love this guy. He's go, he's a franchise caliber quarterback. He's a top 20 caliber. You, you're going to sit out there and say that. And then in our elimination game in week 15, we're going out there and running vanilla plays. And that's and, a and game do, against and, an opponent that you don't see every, every, every so often. So you can actually, you know, bust out the plays in the back of the playbook per se. You don't have to go to the vanilla plays. Yeah, and that's what makes this Jacoby Brissett thing so, like, odd 
like puts us in a tough position of who to blame and who who deserves you know kind of the the short end of this stick because you don't know with Jacoby as a quarterback you don't know how much of this is actually on Frank because like you said he is scheming guys open and you don't know how much of the playbook is coming out but just from my personal perspective I just think that he's doing this entire team a disservice by not opening up the playbook and let let Brissett sink I mean he said I don't know how often you watch his, his post-game pressers or, you know, read the uh, quotes. That he honestly, honestly, unless you, like, tell me to go watch him, I don't because it's almost as carbon copy of the same thing. Yeah. It's, I'm going to support my players. We're going to back our players. We're going to play better next week. And nothing against Frank Reich. I go, love the guy. But it's it's the carbon copy coach speak stuff. Yeah, it is. It is. But I try to look for nuggets in there. And, and he said an interesting tidbit when they were talking to him about Jacoby. And he said, we are still developing Jacoby. What the hell are you talking about, Frank? I mean, listen, I understand he's only around start number 30. The guy's 27. He sat behind Tom Brady. He sat behind Andrew Luck. He had he looks the exact same in week 15 as he did in week one. Actually, looks a lot worse. I'm not going to give him that kind of credit to say he looks actually, like. Actually, and, and people forget, he had all the reps in training camp. First team reps. Yeah. He's had reps. He's had a season to start in this league. I understand the roster was terrible. The coach, you had the experience. You've had time to sit, learn from Andrew Luck in this scheme. Patrick Mahomes sat for a year and came in and was an MVP. Lamar sat for a year, and he's going to be an MVP. You don't need four years to develop. I mean, for anyone talking about Jacoby's starts in his career, it's bull crap. You don't need four years to develop. I don't care how many live reps he has. And look, and look back at twenty. Look at back at twenty seventeen. You look at that fourth quarter rating. And it drops from the first three quarters. Look at this year. It drops like I want to say thirteen percent. Like yeah, there's a there's a trend there. And I, like I say, the first first times a and I can't remember what the saying is basically, but it's you know the first time is a rare occurrence. The second time is kind of a repeat, and then the third time it's a trend. It's looking like a trend for Jacoby. Like yeah, after, and I'm going to go off a little bit here, but you look at the big games. We keep mentioning the big games for Jacoby. This could have been a game where he, we could have been like, oh, maybe he does have something. He completely, completely pissed down his leg in this week. Yep. I mean, that that's true. And, I mean, it kind of shifted from Reich to Jacoby. But that's what that's what this dynamic is right now. And, and Frank's catching heat. And I, I think rightfully so. I mean, listen, you got to be more creative. you got to do more. As a coach, when you lose thirty-four to nothing, that's on you. He didn't have his team ready. He wasn't. He the, the team didn't play with any heart and energy like he expects. He says, you know, we're disgusted, and I agree with him. I don't think he in any way promoted that kind of just lackluster performance, or you know, this was no kind of tank situation or anything like that. But at the end of the day, when you go down thirty-four to nothing and you lose thirty-four to seven, that's on the coach. I mean, he deserves some of the blame. To have that, that they looked mean- lifeless last night. Lifeless, they did. they did. And and I mean, again, that is a reflection on him. That is not on Jacoby. That is not on any other one individual. The coaching staff is responsible for getting that team game ready and getting them in in a right mental state to go out there and compete at a high level. So, as a lot you know, of people say, the coaches put the players in the situation to yep. to succeed, and the players either succeed or they don't succeed most of the time. Yep, and they and they didn't succeed. So Reich, you know, number one, do I place a blame in his foot for not having his team ready? And number two, I I just I'm with you on the play calling thing. I think it's too vanilla. I think the offense needs to to change the flow a little bit. And one thing, yeah, I, I want this team to go a little bit more fast paced because it. Stan Carroll made a good point. I don't know if you follow him or not. He's a great follow, but 
he mentioned that Jacoby, it seems like every first half or so, he has to waste a timeout because the play clock is running down. I feel like if we, you know, play play a little bit of faster pace and maybe maybe that will change with these last two games playing for basically nothing. But um, yeah, I just I, I feel like Frank Wright is limited in his play calling because of the quarterback situation and because of the skill positions. Like when you're throwing up, when you're throwing to Marcus Johnson, who I think should be by far, he should definitely be on his roster come training camp time. Yeah, when you're throwing a Zach Pascal and you're throwing a Moali Cox is not getting targets, but when he's out there and then you've got, of course, Marcus Johnson and you've got Jacoby Brissett out there who can't make throws like a high school level. I mean, I think you're limited in your playbook at, to some degree. Yeah. And I agree with that. But again, you know, when, when you, when you lose in that kind of fashion and you have that kind of, he's known as an offensive guy. So regardless, Jacoby's his guy. I mean, you know, because for me personally, I can't, I do this with Matt Nagy and Trubisky. When their offense struggles, a lot of people put it on on uh, Trubisky, and I tell Bears fans, well, that's Nagy's guy. He wanted this job because of Trubisky. Well, Frank Reich sat on a hill for or sat on a hill for Jacoby and screamed at the mountaintops of how much he thinks of him. At this and point, I'm, I really don't know if Frank really likes Jacoby. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't know if he does anymore, but I'm just saying at the beginning oh, yeah, at the of the beginning, yeah, of course. They, him and Ballard both were sitting screaming from the mountaintops about how great they think Jacoby is. And I know we and I, and I know we don't hear from Ballard anymore, really at, at all, because of pre- he doesn't do press conferences. But we haven't heard a good thing from him on Jacoby Brissett. So, yeah, I mean, and I think I mean this is a little off-topic nugget, but I, I think it's it, I think it's interesting to throwing Jacoby out there for the last two games because I, if Andrew Luck was in in the uh, on the team still, I don't think they would throw him out there the last two weeks because. They know what Andrew Luck is. They know what they have. They've been decimated by injuries. And I think that, you know, once you're eliminated from the playoffs, you throw up the white flag and say, listen, it's just not our season. We had terrible injury luck. Vinatieri was garbage. We didn't handle that situation right. Let's shut our quarterback down. Let's shut this thing down. Get ready for 2020. Get some guys in there. But the fact that throwing out Jacoby is pretty interesting to me because I think, you know, it's just kind of a last gasp of air for them to try to justify him going on to this roster next season because listen Ballard and Reich know that he can't be on this roster playing the way he has the last handful of weeks knee injury or not I don't number one I don't think that's impacting him and the fact oh, that not started, at all he's no. he's been completely he's fine he's he scored two rushing touchdowns since the injury come on now that's starting to rumble around a little bit but a lot of people are posting pre-injury stats and post-injury stats but they're not bringing up that really this has been a problem since the Kansas City game which he was not injured in, and it's been an ongoing problem since then. The injury has nothing to do with this, but I just think that these last couple games are really just a last gasp to try to justify him going on this roster next season because you can't you can't justify putting him on there. But you know, I think this, that 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 speaks volumes. You talk about him not trusting Jacoby or being a big fan. I think that that them putting him out there in a situation where he he does have a sprained MCL, whether or not it's affecting him or not. I mean, you're still putting an injured guy out there. In in a, in a, for really no reason. I think that that says a lot about where he's at in the minds of Reich and Ballard and where his position is moving forward. I think that, you know, a lot of people are concerned, myself included, that they're going to be bullheaded and not address this. But I think the fact that Jacoby is starting these last two games, I, I do think that is a little telling. So we'll we'll finish the show as as it is now before we probably rip our head, rip our hair out of the head. But um, moving forward to the Carolina Panthers, Colts, aren't playing for anything but a draft pick at this point. Um, I know the Colts are slide at 14 or 15 right now. Jake, do you, do you know off the top of your head what they're slide at? 
Yeah, 14th. Yeah, so we got to expect the Colts to be around 10 to 15 or so, depending on how these last two games go. Um, but a little bit change the schedule. We won't do a, a preview show anymore since the Colts aren't playing for anything. So we'll still have a post-game show for you guys, and we'll talk a little bit about um, the upcoming game. So uh, we'll transition to that real fast. Jake, what, is there anybody big for the Colts that you think could – Make an impact over these last this last game or this next game against the Carolina Panthers. Or uh, you interested to see Will Greer make his first Greer start in the NFL? What you what you looking for on Sunday? I'm ecstatic, Sam. I'm gonna get Section 100 tickets immediately on StubHub to watch for real twenty dollars for twenty dollars. Yeah. It's, it's gonna be like an over overblown counted fourth uh, fourth preseason game, basically. Colts Events is doing retweets for the tickets. They've been doing that this year because they can't sell tickets. And I retweeted it, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna message them on there and be like, I'll only go if you give me gas money, because I don't <laughs> I don't know of anybody that wants to invest money into going to see that matchup. Not to not to be disrespectful to the team or anything, but it's just kind of funny that you know that we're. That's we're what happens to... when you're not playing for anything. I mean, yep. It's I mean, Jacoby, and it's not a matchup. Good. It's not a big key matchup against a team that's good. But it's just, it's just uh, yeah, it's gonna be hard to you know really focus on anything positive. I mean. You know, want to see how how Marcus Johnson? You talk about him closing out the year. I mean, there's going to be still things that Marcus, can be excited Marcus and Zach Pascal have been playing really good recently. Yeah, both of them have. I mean, Marlon Mack's going to get his thousand yard season, so I'm going to be excited to see that he deserves it. Um, got off to a really good start this year, and before teams were putting 12 people in the box to stop him, he was having a great. Twelve wasn't enough. Twelve's not enough. They've been putting like 15. It seems like. I'm pretty sure the refs are helping them down there. I think that's how. I think that's how obvious our offense has gotten, but. You know, they have they have 55 people in the box right now, so his numbers have tailed off. But he, he's really stayed healthy all year. He's had a really good year. I'm excited to see him get 1,000 yards. Um, looking, to, I'm hoping Darius can wrap up an all-pro campaign. I know he got the Pro Bowl nod, and I put yep. it on. Congratulations to uh, Big Q and Darius Sunder. They should be all-pros again this year, and they're Pro Bowls this year. And Kenny Moore, uh, I think it's going to be once or one, one good Colts player every year is going to be Pro Bowl snubbed. And I don't really care much at, at all for the Pro Bowl, but it's nice to get the recognition. And for Kenny, for Jacoby Brissett to get a Pro Bowl alternate nod over Kenny Moore, come on now. I mean, if Brandon Scherf for the for the three win Redskins can get a Pro Bowl nod, I understand Kenny Moore plays slot corner on a six and eight team, but if Brandon Scherf for the Washington Redskins can get a Pro Bowl nod. Certainly Kenny Moore can at least get an alternate. I find it completely disrespectful that he did not even get an alternate nod. He deserved it. He had a fantastic year. But, you know, the two guys that made it, I mean, especially Darius Leonard, I mean, he was he had an interview. He was he was looking forward to that snub, not looking forward to it, but anticipating the snub again this year. And and Colts Nation deserves a ton of credit because over the last three days, you know, anybody that, that follows me on social media saw me retweeting all these other people's posts, but people were, people were just putting up Darius Leonard to the Pro Bowl tweets all over the place. It was a, an absolute outburst after he had that game against Tampa Bay. There was just an outburst of people that, that pushed him into that voting. He wasn't even top 10 at the last like check-in mark, and that was kind of where he anticipated the snub, and he got all the way up and in as, as a vote-in. So that that's amazing, and and the fans deserve a ton of credit in a season that's really been mired with ups and downs. And you know it's easy at this time, kind of year to be disengaged, but to back one of our guys and push him in when he deserved it, I'm really proud of this fan base for being able to do that. I know the Pro Bowl is a joke, but I, I know that made Darius feel good. 
I know that 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 made him feel good that the fan base was behind him. So that that alone was huge to me. And then obviously Quentin Nelson, who's probably going to have the most all pro seasons in NFL history by the time it's done, barring injury. Uh, he gets in. Obviously, we knew he was going to get in. But, you know, congrats to both of those guys. Obviously, those those are part of one of the best drafts in NFL history. Chris Ballard pulled off. So both those guys deserve it. Two building blocks for our future and hoping Darius, you know, back to what I was saying back, hoping Darius can kind of wrap up an all pro season, keep putting up big numbers. Um, you know, he missed three games, so he's going to have to really, you know, continue to turn up, uh, turn up, crank out the numbers he's been cranking out to get that all pro knot. So I'm, I'm looking for that, looking to see a rebound from the secondary. I mean, again, I, I think this is a very talented young secondary, but they're playing like like crap i'm really hoping that they can get back to what they were doing you know earlier on in the season i know they don't really have any more challenges left they got you know gardner Minshew and will greer but you know at least at least give yourself some confidence um going into next season and yeah i mean you know there's going to be things i'm watching uh you know some of these young guys but just you know ultimately i'm, I'm probably with 90 percent of the fan base i'm excited to you know get into our draft talk shows and you know get into the off season and you know, I get so excited for the draft every year. So I'm ready for that. But, you know, certainly, you know, looking forward to these next two games and see if the Colts can end the season on a positive note. So that's going to conclude this episode of the Circle City Sports Podcast. We appreciate you guys listening. Like we said, no preview show since the Colts aren't playing for anything now. So uh, we'll come back, come back at you guys probably a week from now with the recap of the Panthers game and talk a little bit about the, um, the Jaguars game to finish the season. Can't believe the season's almost over with. It's crazy, Jake. Um, so that's going to conclude this episode of the Circle City Sports Podcast. We appreciate you guys coming on and listening to the show, and we hope you guys have a good rest of the day.